So this morning, family, we are going to open up to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. A few of you guys were at the gathering event last night. We had um, around 80, 85 teenagers down at the NAC at the athletic club. And uh, we actually had one of the teenagers there spoke, and they spoke on 1 Corinthians 13. So I, I almost had him say, hey, just come on. That's where we're going this, tomorrow morning. Anyway, come share the word. He did a great job. Like 16-year-old kid, and like he lit it up. Did a great, great, great job. So 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and we're going to go through here, and where I feel the Lord is, is trying to direct us, you know, we're, we're going to kind of discover this together as we go through the scripture, but he's calling us, I see, to a higher place. He's calling us to a new place, like new atmospheric like locations, like not living kind of the ground level any longer, but he's calling us to rise above. And we're going to see that call here in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He's calling us to rise above. So it says here, I'm actually going to start in the last verse of chapter 12. And the Apostle Paul says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. God, this morning I pray that your love would be really just infused into our lives. I pray, Lord, that as we read in this scripture about your love and about the, the purpose of it, Lord God, and how that works with every other area of our life, Lord, that that love would just grow in us. As your Holy Spirit resides in us, let the love increase in us, Jesus. Thank you. We love you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So the weather is finally turning, family. It's summer. It actually felt like summer yesterday. Did anybody get outside? Yes. Oh, man. It was like 70 degrees and sunny yesterday. It was like, okay, we finally made it. Like, May is Tuesday, but we made it to, to, to the warmer weather. We got over it. It didn't, didn't look like it was going to go away for a while. But finally, we can get outside. We can start getting some fresh air. And uh, I actually went to Satchewis Point just a few days ago and just took a walk around there. And, uh, man, just being able to smell, like, spring and smell, like, the salt in the air. And it's like, there's no better place in the world to be in the summer than in Newport. So like, man, I feel spoiled. The longer I live here, the more I love it too. Maybe that's the, how you always get like that island mentality when you live here. The less further away you're willing to go. Speaking of which, welcome to my cousin Joe is here visiting us today and his wife Kara from off the island. <laughs> from off, and north of Providence too. Wow, so that's like, yeah. <laughs> So we're so glad, and, and little baby Davey is with us. To, he turns one uh, in next week, right? May 8th. Yeah, so we're glad to have you guys with us today. <laughs> well, I am anyway. I can speak for myself. <laughs> so, um, so yes, we can finally get outside. And as I was, I'm thinking about, man, we can start getting outside and breathing this fresh air, start walking the trails again. Is anybody, any hikers here? Or are you more of just like, let me watch the woods on my television screen? <laughs> One, a few of you guys? You get lost? That's not good. <laughs> a 
Actually, Joe, remember, we used to go hiking up in some of the mountains in New Hampshire, Mount Monadnock and Mount uh, Chikoro. We've climbed a few of those. And um, as I was just kind of going through this message, I was thinking about some of these trips that we've taken and how inspiring it is. Like, when you look at, just looking at the mountain view is a beautiful thing. It's inspiring. It's peaceful. And then when you're at the peak, too, for those of you who have ever climbed to a peak before, you look down and you look at the valleys and the trees and it's absolutely breathtaking and inspiring. When you're on that mountain on the way up, <laughs> sometimes it's not so inspiring. Sometimes you just want to collapse on the ground and catch your breath a little bit <laughs> because it's not an easy journey. There's thin, thin air up there, that's right. <laughs> and you know, when you're going through uh, trails and things, there's, there's obviously uh, things you need to watch out for too. There's, there's, there's threats and things, you, especially um, you know, with, with the weather starting to turn warm, there's snakes that will pop out of kind of like anywhere, out of nowhere. I remember um, we were, when we were living down in Puerto Rico, the uh, grass field kind of behind our house in, one of, in Arecibo, it had grown wicked high, and so we're like, man, we, get, we need to get a hold of this. So this is how you cut the grass in Puerto Rico. You get a machete, and you bend down to the ground, and you, you cut it down to ground length. So we're down there cutting, and her father was helping us, and as we're cutting, all of a sudden, out of this thick grass pops this huge snake. Everybody just jumps back and, like, screams. Like, there's nothing, it, it must, is it just me, or there's nothing more freaky than a snake popping out of nowhere? <laughs> And, you know, I, some people, I've heard it said that some people say, like, oh, you know, it goes back to, like, the fall of man. It's our natural instinct. Like, we're afraid of snakes because that was our original, original sin was rooted in that temptation came from a serpent. And so I don't know about that, but I've heard it, I've heard it said. And I, but I do think it's an interesting claim that, you know, there is that fear of snakes, except for those really weird, freaky people that keep them in cages in their houses. <laughs> there are some of those. <laughs> But it's interesting talking about the mountains and things because back in the colonial times, right here in New England, uh, when it was first being settled, they found that down in the valleys, it was very dangerous because there were serpents. There were snakes all over the place. And not just right, any snakes. There were rattlesnakes, uh, copperheads, like poisonous, dangerous snakes. And so in order to avoid these serpents, what they would do is that they would go and build their homes upon hills. They would go higher to higher places. Because as the tradition held it, if they went to a certain elevation where the, thi- the air is thin, the temperature is cool, these cold-blooded animals, they can't survive. And so there was what they called this snake line. If you go above this certain elevation now, so at higher altitude, the snakes can't survive there. And so now if you go and dwell in this place, now you're safe. You don't have to worry about where you're stepping because the snakes can't exist there. They can't live there. And so this is what they would do, that they, they would build their houses on top of these hills. And so whenever uh, new families would come and they're looking to settle, that they, they were always advised to build your home above the snake line. Above the snake line. And so as I read this, I thought it was so interesting because thinking about the idea of a snake and, and in these lower levels and like where we're living, that's a posed threat. And that threat can come in, in in multiple ways, various ways, things that we can think of right now off the top of our head and think ways that will surprise you, which is how they get us because we didn't expect it and weren't waiting for it. But there's, there's these things that are always kind of lurking and waiting. But there's a pla- there is such a place where we go and those concerns no longer 
exist. There's a place that we can reside where we're not constantly like watching our step, like always on guard. A while back when we were talking about the kingdom of heaven, we talked about how we are supposed to be living on the offensive. See, as Christians, we're not always like this with our defenses up, like stay away from me, world, you bad, bad world. (laughs) No, we have the kingdom of God inside here. So where I go, watch out, world, because I'm carrying the kingdom of God inside me. There is such a place where we go and we're not always watching our heels, being afraid of what could catch us. It's above the snake line. And this morning, through this scripture, the Lord is calling us up to ascend the mountain, to live in this higher place. He's showing us, this is where I want you to reside. This is, this is where you belong. Come to this, this higher place. And it's, it's interesting that he puts it here in the chapter 13 of Corinthians, because the whole book, the whole letter, I should say, is the letter from Paul addressing the people living in Corinth. He had planted a church there, and it was a newer church. There are new believers, and so they weren't familiar with a lot of the, the, the practices and, and what's right, what should I be doing, this and that. And so in this place in Corinth, it was just um, really just kind of a spiritual wreck in some ways. Corinth was located on, it was like a port city, and it had two ports on an east side and on the west side. And so there was a lot of travel, a lot of traveling going on in and out of it. People brought a lot of goods and a lot of, a lot of merchants came. So it was a very wealthy place. And so it was known for its wealth, it was known for its art, and it was known for its fornication and selfishness and various types of immorality. This is what it was known for. Like people that, um, people that lived there, the, the way that they lived their lives just habitually um, was so immoral and just kind of out there. It wasn't kind of like even behind closed doors. It didn't need to be anymore because everybody did it. It was just all there to hang out. And so rather, people uh, in, these, in these ancient times, that it was an insult to be called a Corinthian. Like rather than using the, the term prostitute, someone was called a Corinthian woman. There's, there's writings that show us that this is, this is how they would refer to one another. This is, how, this is the, the level that they had degraded into, and this is what they were living. This is considered normal. This was status quo. It didn't kind of be like, Something's wrong with this. No, that was normal, acceptable way of life. And so all through the book of the Corinthians, Paul is addressing these different areas. This is what it, what it looks like to have a healthy marriage. This is what it looks like for believers to be in a relationship with one another when they're fighting one another. No, you don't go to a, an unsaved heathen judge when you have two believers. Like, how shameful is that? Like, we have God, our Heavenly Father, the great judge, and we're going to go to a, a heathen judge? Like, just, you, you want something from me? Take it. Take it all. So the, the whole book is, is, is addressing these different topics. And then it even gets into the topic in chapter 12, talking about spiritual gifts. And so he's talking about all these different types of spiritual gifts because what's so interesting is that in the midst of the immorality that was going on, the church was very active in what you might consider the more visual gifts, sharing prophecies with one another, speaking in tongues and and having interpretation for these things, words of knowledge. These things were going on in the midst of all of this immorality. 
But what it had turned into, it had turned into more of a, a power trip. And so now, depending on what kind of gift that you had, or what, how the Holy Spirit was using you, that kind of gave you a, a stance as far as how spiritual you were, how influential you were, how people would view you, how important are you. Are you important enough that God would use you and, and give a word of prophecy to you? Or do you just sit and you just listen to everybody else talk? So the, the gifts that they had from the Lord began to be abused in such a way that the very purpose of the gift was being neglected. It wasn't happening. So now in chapter 13, Paul brings us to this point to say, listen, we've addressed all these issues, but I'm going to put all that aside and let's just make, keep it very simple. I'm going to show you the most excellent way. This is the best way. Gifts are important. There's a purpose for them, but the purpose can only be accomplished as those gifts are activated by love. You know, it says in that, in that first verse where if I, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but don't have love, I'm only a resounding gong. In other words, you're more annoying than helpful. <laughs> I think of, when I say that, I think of like a car alarm. Anybody have a car alarm on their vehicle? How many times have you set the thing off <laughs> or had like a, like a neighborhood kid just kind of walking by and like set, set the alarm off? I don't know if car alarms have ever stopped a car from being stolen, but they sure have annoyed a lot of car owners. <laughs> they don't really accomplish the purpose, but they just make a lot of people angry when they hear it. Because <laughs> you know, no, nobody does anything when they hear a car alarm anyway, except for somebody shut that thing off. If you're stealing that car, get out of here quick. <laughs> It also says in that same passage, it, it mentions here, let me hop down. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries, and have all knowledge, and if I have, okay, watch, if I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, if I have faith that can move mountains, but don't have love, it's possible to have one and not the other. You can have all the faith in God that you want, but if it's not accompanied with love, which is a separate other thing, then you're missing the point. Faith without love can, it can turn into that, that religion that is absent from relationship. The love is not present there. You know, that brings me back to um, Matthew chapter 7, where it says many, in Matthew seven twenty two. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Yeah, you did prophesy in my name. That is a gift I gave you from the beginning of time. You did use it, but you didn't use it for me. You didn't use it with love. It was more abused than used. Love is so important. It's like the activator of the gifts. The gifts are there, and we can practice and use these things without accomplishing the purpose that they were ever put there for. We have to have love there. It's the absolute essential piece. You know, he talks about the, the, the faith to move mountains and how it's useless without love. Amazing feats like these miracles here. Uh, say, say it's a, a supernatural healing or, or, or moving a mountain. These types of things grab our attention 
These things are like fantastic things. It's like, whoa! But really, when it comes back to it, it's not about the miracles. It's just about the love. It's very simple. It's just about the love. Sometimes we see these mountains in front of us and we want to rise up and say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Get out of my way, mountain. But really, what God's trying to say is, I'm not moving that mountain. I'm calling you to walk up of it. It's not about moving the mountain, family. It's about ascending the mountain and coming to that higher place, rising to that elevated place. Now our perspective is completely changed. Once we're above the snake line, above the tree line, now the way that we see, we still see the same things that we saw from the ground level, but you're not looking at it horizontally like this. Now you're looking down because you can see the whole picture. And when we can look down and observe the whole picture, now we can understand more completely what is going on. Now we're living in such a place where the things that immediately impact us in life, they don't affect us the same way any longer. It affects us a particular way when all you see is directly what's in front of your eyes versus having that elevated perspective and you're looking down from the top of the mountain and you see all that is at play. Now you understand it all and, it, and those things don't affect us the way that they once did. It also mentions there that you can give your, give your body up, give all you possess to the poor and give your body to hardship, but if you don't have love, you're going to gain nothing. You know, in 1 Samuel 15, 22, it says right there that to obey is better than sacrifice. And even the, the idea of, of giving things away, giving of your own resources, giving of your time, even these things can be done vacant of love. If the love is there in our hearts, yes, you will see these things. You will see people freely giving but they can go through with that action without the love actually being there. We tend to think that somehow we can earn more favor, more love, more, more forgiveness, a better stance with God if we do certain things a particular way or, or stay away from another list of particular things. But these are sacrifices that in themselves do nothing for our stance of God because it's not about sacrifice. It's not about gifts. It's not about miracles. It's about love. It's only about love. It's that simple. Going on in, in uh, chapter 13, it says this in verse 4. This is a, a little bit of a picture of what it looks like above that snake line. Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking or easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and always perseveres. Living in this place of love and letting this be our driver, our motivator, it changes the way that we operate. It doesn't change the people around us, but it changes 
us and the way that we see and view things. See, with that elevated perspective, we see things in a new way, and so it changes even our demeanor. Jesus himself showed us a picture of this, what it looks like to live with that elevated perspective, only when he had that elevated perspective, it wasn't from the top of a mountain, is that as he was lifted up on the cross and looked down at his offenders and his abusers, at his accusers, and when he looked down on them from that elevated perspective, his demeanor was not what anyone would expect. His demeanor was, Father, forgive them. They don't understand what they're doing. And so can we in life. When we're living in this elevated perspective with love as our motivator in all things, when we're living from that higher place above the snake line, when the offenders come, when the accusers come, we can look down with this bigger perspective and say, they don't, they don't get it. They don't see the whole picture. How can I be angry at them? They don't even understand what they're doing. And so the same as Jesus, we can say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. May they come to know who you are and put their faith in you as well. Jesus is calling us to this higher perspective. You know, in a world that is constantly looking for things, like searching for things to take offense for, love can't find any offense. It's the higher perspective. Even when injustice does take place, in that person who is living in love, that offense is received with grace and patience, and it's just taken in stride. It doesn't, it doesn't change or alter the person who's been affected by it. As quickly as the offense comes, just like Jesus showed, it's forgiven and dismissed and gone, and it's in the past. That's the life of love. That's life above the snake line, not trapped at that ground-level perspective because our vision is new. That higher perspective, it changes us. Sometimes we think that, uh, you know, if we change a little bit, then all of a sudden we, we have to see changes in other people too. Because if I do this, now you have to see that I made an effort, now you need to make an effort. We always want to put stipulations on things, and we always want to somehow turn it to point the finger outward. But in Christianity, the way that Jesus taught us, there is never a place to point out. It's always this way. If there's ever any hardships, if there's ever anything happening, drama, accusations, offenders, look inward. Because if I'm letting my surroundings affect me, it's only because I have allowed it. As a follower of Christ, a son of God, the only thing that can touch me is what I allow it to. And so it doesn't matter the, the, the most abusive offense. It doesn't, it doesn't touch me. You know, it's, it's, it's like having an arrow shot at you and just kind of like goes through like you're a ghost. It doesn't touch me because I know who my father is. And so any offense that comes at me, it doesn't stick. It doesn't hold because it's not true. It's not real. Living in love changes us. We're unmoved by our circumstances, no matter what they look like or no, no matter how harsh it comes. It doesn't change the act that was done or the person who did the act, but it changes us and how we take that offense. It changes how we re react to it. You know, in Acts uh, 28, 
there's a little passage there where it's telling us about one of Paul's missionary journeys. And while he was on a ship, there was a huge storm, and actually the ship wrecked, and he ended up on this island called Malta. While he was on this island, it says that they were gathering wood to put on this fire so everybody could warm up and dry up, that they just crawled out of the ocean. It says that he has this, this, um, big bl- all these blocks of wood, he drops it in the fire, and as he puts it on the fire, all of a sudden a snake jumped out of the wood and, and latched onto his hand. And I'm actually going to read that passage to you because I, I want you to see how it's worded there in Acts 28, it's 1 through 6. And when, they, when this snake latched onto his hand, the locals thought he was dead for sure because they knew this snake. This was a familiar snake to them. This was a danger that they always watched out for. It says, Once they were on shore, we found the island called Malta. The islanders show, showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and it was cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> oh man, we are so funny, aren't we? God help us. <laughs> he's going to die. Oh wait, he's God. <laughs> the reason I mention this is because when we're living at this higher perspective, when we're living with love, no matter even when the attacks come, because they still will come. They still will come, but our perspective has changed and the way the world affects us has certainly changed. And that was true for Paul, because even when this snake grabbed on, latched on him, this poisonous, deadly snake latched onto him, even this could not alter the plan and purpose of God for his life. Because he saw that, he shook it off like it was nothing and kept moving. And this is God's desire for our lives. We take things in stride and we keep moving. When we live in this place of love, we don't see people or circumstances the same any longer. God is not calling us to move the mountain all the time, family. He's calling us to ascend the hill. Come up to where I am. The past couple weeks, we've been talking about the presence of God and how important it is to reside in that place where we see him move, move with him. Well, here now we're talking about he's calling us up to live because he wants us to see as he sees. He's saying to you, I want to show you what I see from, from where I sit. Come sit with me. Come have a chair with me. Put, plop it down. I want to show you a few things because now you're going to be, understand, be able to understand things like you never have before. And the things that do come and pose as threats, that perceive threats, you'll shake it off and you'll keep moving because I have a purpose. And that purpose cannot fail. Verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 13. Let's finish this chapter up. It says, Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part... And we prophesy in part, but when completeness, Jesus, comes, 
What is in part disappears. And when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Verse 13, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love, the most excellent way. This is a lifestyle for us, family. This is, this is in our DNA. This is the lifestyle of love that God is calling us towards. This love never fails. So even when Jesus returns and we're with him in all of his fullness, love will still be there. It was there from the beginning of existence. It's going to be there for, for the rest of eternity. But all these things that we tend to look at, these supernatural things that, that tend to wow us because they're, well, not natural, these things will all pass away. They exist now because they have a purpose, but when we know fully, no longer in part as we do now, we don't need these things and they will go away. He mentions three things specifically, knowledge, prophecy, and tongues. He mentions uh, prophecy. What is prophecy? Most often it's, it's referred to as a, like a prediction of something that is going to come in the future that you could, know, you could have no knowledge of except by a supernatural revelation. But there's also a more, um, more basic definition, you might call it, of prophecy, and that's simply the interpretation of Scripture by inspiration. Even preaching the Word, preaching the Scripture, that's inspiration. In, in one sense, in one light, telling somebody, God loves you, God cares for you today. It's a word of prophecy. That's, that's from the scripture. Living above the snake line is not about seeing into the unseen. It's not about prophecy. Even though it's tempting to look upon people who might operate in that kind of gift in the supernatural messages and, and then hold them in a higher regard than we do others. But that's not right. Because that in itself is taking a step away from love because we're looking at one another for what we possess versus who we are, a child of God. Love never ends, and so every effort that we make in that direction is worthwhile because it's not going to be taken away. While we talk about these, these particular gifts, these things are here for a time. It also mentions tongues. It said it's not about tongues. Tongues is... Um, a miraculous, it's a miraculous speaking in another language without learning or like official training. And there's different examples of this in the scripture. There's tongues of, it says in the first verse here of chapter 13, men and of angels. There's examples where men just started speaking in foreign languages that they had never learned. But there were foreigners there with them that heard the gospel being proclaimed to them and they came to faith in Christ. But there's other places in Scripture where it talks about the tongues of angels. It's praying in a heavenly language. This is something that individuals do, and it's not something that edifies anyone around them because you don't hear any knowledgeable words. It's something that edifies your spirit, and it talks about that um, in chapter 12 and 14 of 1 Corinthians. 
It's not about these gifts. Tongues enables someone to connect with God in a special way. The Apostle Paul himself said he wishes that everyone spoke in tongues. Yet, it's not the most important thing. It's about the love. So many people so oftentimes get caught up in these gifts. What are your gifts? Are you using them? Are they valid for today? Many people will take, talk about the gifts of prophecy and tongues, the two of the three he just mentioned, and say, that's for a time past and that's not for today. And now all of a sudden, not only these gifts are something that we look at and view as like a hierarchy of who's the most important in the faith, but now it's something that divides the family. That is not supposed to be the case, family. We can have different points of view because it's about love, and we have one point of view on the source of love and the instruction of love and the way of love because the scripture speaks so clearly to that. Even knowledge, he said, knowledge will pass away. It's so funny how we seek different, different things to kind of validate ourselves. And knowledge, especially today, like in the United States today, knowledge is like, you're so highly regarded if, you, if you're smart or intelligent or you have a lot of this knowledge. If only I knew more, I'd be more important. Knowing like, makes you a greater, better person. Even leaders, people tend to look at leaders and say, well, they're leaders because they know more, they're smarter, they're faster, they're better. Any of these given things, that they're a leader because of that. Which is not the case, because if we take the scripture literally for what it says, we know that the greatest leader is the greatest servant. You're the one who puts yourself underneath everyone else to uphold and serve them. We can't base our abilities or confidence or our faith in what God or what God can even do with us and how much we know because it's just about his love. It's not about what experiences we have. It's not about what knowledge we've gained. It's about his love. And so when we are investing our time, we don't want to be chasing after things that are going to be passing away anyway. All these things will be gone, and one thing remains. Love. Are you tired of hearing that word yet today? You remember one word from this message today. Be L-O-V-E. <laughs> so let me, I'll, I'll close with this, this thought here too. Just in regards to the gifts, these gifts have special purpose. And it says in the scriptures, and if you want to read more on this, I encourage you to do this. Read chapters 12, 13, and 14. Just those three chapters in 1 Corinthians 13. It talks about the gifts. It lists a a number of the gifts, which probably not a, a full extensive list, but there are a number of them listed there. And it says specifically that these gifts are there They are amongst us, and right now in in this church, we have all various kind of gifts and talents represented in this place. And the reason is to edify one another. The gift or ability that you have, it's not for you. You have it, but it's not for you. You were given that to to offer it to someone else. That's the very purpose. And this is why love is the activator of our gifts. In order to use it properly and serve one another, edify the body of Christ, we have to be motivated by love. Because if the love is not motivating us, then we're going to use that gift to serve ourselves. And that's not the purpose. 
So in, a, in one particular sense, just this idea of these spiritual gifts, it points to community. Gifts are important because community is important. We're called to be together, to coexist with one another, and not just exist with one another, but serve and, and get entangled and wrapped up and like all share community and life together. This is the great calling of love, to be together. We can't allow ourselves to be blindsided by the enemy any longer. The Lord is calling us to climb that hill, have that higher perspective, and see things in a new way. He doesn't want us to be held back from operating in the fullness of love. See, we all have all of God's love. We have that already. Nothing that we can do could make him love us anymore. And certainly nothing that we could do could make him love us any less. But the difference is not, are we loved? The difference is, am I expressing his love to you? So when we say live in his love, you're already loved. That's not something anybody attains. When we say live in his love, we say climb the hill, we're saying show his love. Let it come through you. As it comes in you, don't let it stop there like a stagnant pool and just get stuck. It's not meant to work that way, just like our gifts. It's not meant to be just there in us, for us. It flows through and serves one another. I'm going to close with a story of, um, of a time. There was a time where two boys were um, climbing some cliffs together up in Nova Scotia. And they reached a pretty great height. And as they were up there, they came upon an eagle's nest. And when they found this nest, they took a peek in it, and they found a few tiny, tiny baby eagles actually in the nest. And so one of these boys, what does he do? Takes an eagle and say, I'm taking this home. <laughs> so he takes this baby eagle, and he, he brought it home where he had some chickens and like a little barnyard type of setup. So he puts it in the chicken coop. So he's being raised with uh, these chickens, and, you know, the first couple days, it's like, you know, might kind of seem like, okay, he's getting a little food, he's getting some nourishment, being taken care of. But it didn't take long before he started to grow really rapidly and look awfully different. <laughs> and he obviously he started acting very different from the chickens, and, it, and um, before too long, he started to withdraw from the rest of the chickens and just kind of stand by himself just kind of be there in the pen, kind of like staring up at the sun. And once he was, was um, much bigger, he, would, he was just sitting there, and occasionally you see him just kind of like flap his huge wings kind of awkwardly, not really know what to do with them, and just kind of like roll around and just stand there. He really didn't know what to do. Well, one day as he was standing there in the sunlight, as he would, as he would do, do normally, another eagle flew over the barnyard, right over the sky above him. And the way it was said was that this particular eagle, this chicken eagle, <laughs> began to um, act kind of agitated, like it was like almost like frustrated, like angry. And then all of a sudden, with like this awkward like screech, it, let, it yelled out of its beak. It just flapped its wings like vigorously and just took flight. He actually got flight. And then before you know it, he was gone. It's like finally it clicked. It's like, that's where I belong. And it just, he made it happen. And in, a min, in an instant, he was gone. 
He knew that he, he, he belonged in a different place, and he realized it was living in a new way than he'd ever experienced. He had never had that experience before, so he didn't know even what he was looking for, really. But now he got a glimpse, and he chased it. And what a day for that eagle when he realized that... Um, oh, what, a, what a day that for, for us when we can look at our lives and realize that although so much of our lives, it looks so similar to the people around us, but that's not who we are. It's not where we belong. When we realize that we have a higher calling to climb the mountain and live in the power of God's love, that we have the access to that power, it's just a matter of using it and expressing it. Let it come out of you. We are not of this world. We're from above, from a higher place. That's where we're from. That's where we belong in that higher place, a higher civilization, a higher culture, the culture of the kingdom of God. God himself has chosen to abide in us. So my encouragement this morning to us is follow him as he leads us in the way of love, pulling us closer and closer to him and further away from those lowly, vulnerable places. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for showing us the way of love. This is such a difficult thing to grasp, Father, because we have to cling so closely to you if we're ever going to live like this. If we're ever going to attain the heights that you're calling us to, Lord, it's only going to be because you have carried us to that higher place. And so I ask, would you give us strength? Would you give us strength to hear your call and to respond? Would you give us strength, Lord God, that when offenses come, we love through it and we love anyway? Would you give us just the steadfastness that you have that when our, our love, our acts of love aren't received well, we love anyway? That we will be unmoved by the things of this world because we are not of this world. We're from a higher place. So carry us up to that higher place, I pray. I pray that you just kind of put this on the, on the forefront of our awareness, Lord God. When we see things around us, that we would be able to pick up on what is happening, Lord, and see with a new perspective, not a limited horizontal perspective where we can't see past you know, our, our arm's length, but call us up. Call us up to see the big picture, to see your view, to see one another as you do. And then act accordingly, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit that resides in us, constantly changing and conforming us to your character and in filling us with more and more of your divine love.